Okay, we have been discussing the Satipatthana Sutta. And last time we discussed the second section of the Sutta on mindfulness of the postures of the body. Now we come to the third section of the sutta, which is called Mindfulness with Clear Comprehension. That sati is mindfulness and clear comprehension is sampajanya. We already met this word and this shows its importance in the very opening paragraph of the Satipatthana Sutta the Buddha says that if you look on page 11 of the wheel booklet he says that a monk who is practicing the four foundations of mindfulness lives contemplating the body and the body ardent clearly comprehending and mindful and then this is repeated for each of the other three foundations of mindfulness so here we see that clear comprehension or sampajanya is somewhat like the twin brother of mindfulness not an identical twin because there are some differences between them but the two factors or elements of the practice should ideally go together linked together and now we should give special attention to this word clear comprehension which is I'll write the Pali word Okay, the word, the Pali word for clear comprehension is sampajanya. And there are different ways in which the commentators explain the derivation of this word. These different ways bring out different aspects of its meaning. The first derivation, samapajanana, means knowing or understanding correctly. Sama means correctly. Pajanana means understanding or knowing. So when one practices clear comprehension, then one has to comprehend, grasp, understand the activity one is engaged in or the object that one is contemplating. One has to understand it correctly, rightly, accurately. Then, sampajanya could also be taken to mean samantato pajanana. This means understanding comprehensively, you might say. Understanding from different angles. That is, when one wants to understand something the way it really is one doesn't just focus upon it in a very narrow or one-sided way but one has to examine or investigate the object or the activity from many different points of view in order to get a full picture of it
It's somewhat like if you are buying a car, then to make sure that it's a good quality car, you have to examine different parts, the carburetor, the transmission, the what is the, the exhaust system, and so on, to make sure that all of these parts are functioning properly. Okay, and then the third meaning of sampajanya is samang pajanana. This would mean understanding evenly, understanding in a, in a balanced way, with the mind in a balanced state. That is, we have different mental faculties and sometimes these faculties can get out of balance. In Buddhism they speak especially of four, in fact five mental faculties, the pancha indriyas. And of these five faculties, two of them, faith or confidence, and wisdom have to be balanced with each other. If one examines a particular object with predominance of faith, then one will become very enthusiastic about it. If you look at that car, for example, and it has very beautiful, shiny appearance, and the salesman tells you it's a wonderful car, then you become very excited and enthusiastic and you put down your money and you buy the car and it might turn out to be a lemon, a bad model. On the other hand, if one has just critical intelligence without any degree of faith or confidence, then one will always be noticing faults and flaws in whatever object one is examining, or you'll always be looking for flaws. It's a very, like a critical type of person who's never able, willing to accept anything or to try out anything. This is like a person who goes into the automobile shop. He's not even really so serious about purchasing a car, but he's the type who likes to just to criticize others and to harp on faults. So he's ready to go from one automobile shop to another, picking fights with the salesman, always trying to show or to hint at the salesman that he's trying to cheat, cheat the person by selling him a bad car. Okay, so these two faculties, faith and wisdom or intelligence, have to be balanced in order to understand things in an even or equal way. Then there is also the two other faculties of energy, virya, and samadhi, or concentration. Those two faculties have to be balanced. If there is too much energy, then, particularly when one is practicing meditation, then the mind will get excited or will become over-enthusiastic and quickly it will become exhausted. And with too much energy and not concentration, the mind tends to restlessness or agitation and one is not able to examine the object properly. So energy has to be balanced with concentration. Then if there is too much concentration, or we should say calmness, but not enough energy in the mind, then the mind will tend to sluggishness, even to dullness and drowsiness. And so it's not able to understand the object rightly.
So there has to be a certain balance between energy and concentration. And so when all of these faculties are balanced evenly and one is investigating and examining the object, then we have sampajanya, clear comprehension. And then the commentators explain four types of clear comprehension, four ways in which clear comprehension is to be practiced. The first of these is called in Pali Sattaka Sampajanya which means clear comprehension of purpose. And this means that when one is engaging in any activity, one should have a clear comprehension of the purpose of that activity, the purpose for which one is engaging in that activity. Now, clear comprehension works together hand-in-hand with sati, with mindfulness, in that mindfulness can be explained as bare attention or bare awareness of the object or of the activity. And when practices mindfulness, when engaged in activities, by stopping and not rushing into an activity, but arousing awareness or mindfulness of oneself as one is about to engage in a particular activity, then that brief pause in which mindfulness steps in, gives an open space in which one can inquire into the purpose of the activity. And we see in the section of the sutta on mindfulness practice with clear comprehension, we see in the text it says, And further monks, a monk, or in this case, any meditator, in going forward and backwards, or going forward and returning, applies clear comprehension. In looking straight ahead, or in looking away to the side, he applies clear comprehension. In bending and in stretching, in wearing the robes and carrying the bowl, in eating, drinking, chewing and savoring, he applies clear comprehension. In walking and standing and sitting and falling asleep, in waking and speaking and in keeping silent, he applies clear comprehension. So the practice of mindfulness with clear comprehension is generally connected with the performance of various activities. It's not a single type of meditation subject on which the mind is fully concentrated as in the case of mindfulness of breathing, or the postures, or some of the subjects to follow. But the section on mindfulness and clear comprehension 
deals with the question or the problem of how to apply mindfulness and understanding in connection with the various activities of one's day-to-day life, particularly by those who are engaged in intensive meditation practice. And also it seems that there is one line that has been omitted from this booklet, which yeah, after in eating, drinking, chewing, and savoring, he applies clear comprehension. There's a, <laughs> a line that when passing urine and when passing excrement, one applies clear comprehension. So clear comprehension is something to be sustained even when going to the bathroom. (laughs) And so for each of these activities, each of these activities is to be performed with mindfulness, that is with attention or awareness to one's body and mind when engaging in the activity. And then the element of clear comprehension enters in the first place by investigating what is the purpose of that activity. Is it a truly meaningful or purposeful action that one is planning to engage in? And this inquiry will really cut away if one is serious about following the Dhamma if one inquires into the purpose of one's activities and one makes growth or progress in the Dhamma one's goal or ideal, just making this inquiry will act like a razor which will cut cut away about 75% of our ordinary daily activity. If one makes this inquiry into the purpose activity, then there is little or no purpose in going to taverns, going to cinemas, going to dance halls. And keeping this inquiry in mind will enable one to pursue the path of Dharma practice, and to make sure that one's choice of actions and of goals is in conformity with the Dhamma. Okay, then the second type of clear comprehension is clear comprehension of suitability. Suitability. (coughs) And this is the inquiry that when one has decided to enter upon a certain course of action, then one inquires whether one is choosing the suitable means for accomplishing one's goal. Whether it's suitable by way of time, place, and so on to embark on that activity on this particular occasion. The commentary gives as an example the practice of monks in the early period where it said that for monks to go to worship a chaitya or to pay homage to a bodhi tree or to go to give to listen to a discourse on the Dhamma, this is a worthy activity in itself. 
it's a good purpose. But then if there's to be a big celebration or festivity around the Chaitya or the Bodhi tree, or if there's a big festive Dhamma Desana in the village in which there'll be hundreds of people, then for somebody who's really intent on developing a kamatana or meditation subject, then to make those visits to the Chaitya, the Bodhi tree, or for a Dharma discourse, then it's not suitable. Because by going to the place when it's crowded and a lot of hustle and bustle, then the mind will become agitated and one's engagement with one's meditation subject will get loosened. But also we could apply the same principle of suitability even in day-to-day life, the day-to-day activities. For example, if a person wants to start a business in order to support his family, in itself that's a worthy end or purpose. And so if he understands that that is his purpose, then he has clear comprehension of purpose. But if the idea comes to him that he could start the business or somebody suggests that he start the business by becoming involved in some shady, dishonest dealings, then he will decide that this is not the suitable means of starting his business. Or if somebody suggests to him that, well, if he wants to start a business, (laughs) he could peddle drugs or illegal liquor in that case then he'll decide this is an unsuitable means for accomplishing the end okay so this is clear comprehension of suitability if you think you can find many other ways to exemplify this Okay, the third aspect of clear comprehension it's called in Pali Gotura Sampajanya which means literally clear comprehension of the domain and here domain, the word domain is used in the sense of one's particular subject of meditation within the, well it can be any type of meditation subject, a samatha meditation subject, or it can be any subject within the four foundations of mindfulness. And what is meant by having clear comprehension of the domain is constantly keeping one's mind engaged with the meditation subject whenever one is involved in any activity. And if one becomes involved in an activity in which one can keep one's mind engaged with that same meditation subject, Like if you're practicing, say, a casino meditation and you have to type a letter, you can't go on visualizing a casino object while you're typing on the typewriter. Then mindfully and with full awareness, one puts down the regular meditation subject, one becomes gets engaged in one's activity, then when one finishes the activity, then immediately one picks up the meditation subject and continues on. 
In the commentaries, I give the example of the way some of the monks of the old times used to practice. They were especially concerned, like usually the, the, when the monks were involved with full-time intensive meditation, the one time during the day when they would not be able to continue with their meditation, their actual practice, would be when they go on alms round. And so there was a way of practicing called, it's called carrying out and bringing back, which means that when the monk sets out on the alms round, he should make a special determination and effort to keep his meditation subject in mind while on the alms round. And when he finishes collecting his food and returns, then he maintains that determination to keep the subject in meditation, the subject of meditation in his mind, all the ways when he's walking back to the monastery. And the commentaries make mention some examples of the way monks would practice this with very, very strong determination. Like there was a case mentioned of a group of monks who were meditating together at a Aranya. And they made the determination that when they go on alms round, they all walk in single file. And if any monk's mind becomes troubled by defiling thoughts, by distracting or defiling thoughts, then he would stop in his place walking down the road. And he would know that <laughs> all the monks who are behind him are aware that some defilement has come up into my mind. And so then he would become ashamed of himself and make a determination or a special effort to bring the mind back to his subject of meditation. Then if he couldn't clear the mind out while he was standing still, then he would go to, he would find a rock or a log and sit down on the rock or log and all the monks behind him would wait in their places. And that way he would think that I'm holding up the alms round, that all the monks are waiting for me to clear my mind so that we could continue to collect our alms food. Okay, that is the way the clear comprehension of the domain is practiced by monks who are carrying on intensive meditation in our runyas. Then there's a development of this clear comprehension of the domain that's been worked out in the Burmese method of practicing Vipassana meditation. And that is to be aware when one is engaged in any particular activity to be aware of every movement and every phase in that activity. For example, in the morning when one goes to wash one's face, one is aware, say, of walking into the bathroom each step one comes to the sink and stops, then one makes a note, stopping, stopping. Then one is going to reach out one's hand to turn the faucet. One is aware, reaching, reaching. When the hand reaches the faucet, one becomes aware, touching, touching. Then one is going to turn the faucet to make the water come out, turning, turning. 
You see the water come out, seeing, seeing. You want to get the water, and you put your hand under, putting hand, putting hand. You feel the water hitting the hand, you become aware, feeling, feeling, or water, water. You scoop up some water to wash the face, scooping, scooping. You bring the water to the face, bringing, bringing. You throw the water on the face, throwing, throwing. You wipe the face, wiping, wiping, and so on. When eating, again, the same method is used. At the beginning of the meal, first one reflects on the purpose of the food. This is done according to a formula that comes in the suttas. For a monk to think the purpose of eating the food is not for enjoyment or delight, but to make the body strong and fit and to lead the holy life. Okay, so then after one makes that reflection, which is clear comprehension of purpose, then one looks at one's plate, lucking, lucking. One wants to take some rice, so one reaches out the hand, reaching, reaching. When you touch the rice, the rice touching, touching. You want to take some paripu to mix it with the rice. Paripu, getting, taking paripu, <laughs> taking paripu. <laughs> then mixing it into a bowl, mixing, mixing. Then lifting the bowl to the mouth, lifting, lifting putting the ball of food into the mouth, pudding, pudding, <laughs> then chewing the food, chewing, chewing, then swallowing it, swallowing it, swallowing it, tasting the food, tasting, tasting, and so on. <laughs> and one thing, when you do this practice, especially if you're trying to go on a diet, it's the ideal way <laughs> to lose weight. <laughs> because the mind gets so engaged in every little step of this practice that after <laughs> seven or eight mouthfuls <laughs> it's enough <laughs> okay so that is way the way clear comprehension of the domain is practiced in the method of the special method of the pasana meditation where one is not fixing the mind on a single meditation object but one is trying to become aware of every action in one's in all one's activities of every phase of every action An example of the ideal way this is practiced that's given in the commentaries. They mention a monk who was sitting at a table having a discussion with some of his students. And when he wanted to emphasize a particular point, he raised his arm and he went like this. Then immediately he brought his arm back and he paused then he lifted the arm again and just repeated the gesture. Then his student said, Venerable Sir, is something wrong? Why did you take your arm and bring it up and repeat that, that gesture? Then the teacher said, For ten years I've been practicing constant mindfulness and I never made even a single gesture without being aware of it. But just now when I was explaining that point to you, my mind got wrapped up in it and I made a gesture without full awareness of it. Therefore I brought my arm back the way I had it originally and I repeated the gesture this time with clear comprehension. Okay, so that is 
clear comprehension of the domain. Then the next type of clear comprehension is called asamoha sampajanya. This means clear comprehension according, literally it means clear comprehension without delusion. Or we can explain it as clear comprehension that accords with reality, clear comprehension of reality. And this means that one, when engaged in any activity or considering any activity, one comprehends it from the standpoint of anatta, especially, from the standpoint of egolessness or non-self. Usually when, say, when we're walking, we're going someplace, we think, I am going. When we're returning, we think, I am returning. When we're looking at something, we think, I am looking. When we bend or stretch the limbs, we think, I am bending, I am stretching. But when one is practicing clear comprehension of reality, then one observes and contemplates these actions as merely empty phenomena, phenomena occurring without any self or ego controlling them. For example, when going forward, walking, one will examine the act of walking and one considers, what does it mean when I say, I am walking? When one examines it according to reality, one doesn't find any I or ego controlling or governing the act of walking. Rather, first there comes into the mind an intention, a volition, that's chaitana. The thought, let me walk. Then that thought sets in motion a neurological process by which <coughs> the mind, according to the terminology of the Abhidhamma, the mind acts on what is called the internal air element of the body, which is connected with consciousness. But the air element, as it's used in this context, means something like neurological energy, a current of energy which flows through the nervous system. And that current of energy sets in motion the muscles of the leg so that there takes place one leg coming up, going down, the next leg lifting, putting down. Thus the action of walking takes place through the combined or the coordination of chaitana, which is a volition always arising and passing away. First there's a volition, okay, stand up, one stands, go forward with the right foot, one puts the right foot forward, then that chaitana or volition falls away, another chaitana comes up, move the left foot, then right, left, right, left, and if one examines the act of walking, it's just the series of mental commands or acts of chaitana, intention, and the physical activity of the body, lifting the foot, bringing the foot forward, putting it down. 
when one stops and turns around again there's intention the mind gives rise to the intention stopping stopping and the body stops if one is going to turn around the mind gives the order the command turn and there's turning each phase of turning has its own little act of intention behind it when one finishes turning then there comes the intention stopping stopping and one starts to walk back again the intention right foot left foot right foot left foot and the body moves just like a puppet controlled by a puppet master but the puppet master here is not an ego or self but it's just the ever-changing volitions or intentions one volition says left foot right foot and so on when one is to bend or stretch the limbs then for example to reach out the arm in stretching then volition will arise stretch and then the arm stretches out when one is to bend the arm in again a volition occurs bend and one brings the arm in okay even to take an example from the text when eating or drinking to understand it in reality okay there is external food on the plate well there's food on the plate that's some external combination of the four elements together with different types of secondary matter and especially in this case there is that type of matter which is called nutriment ahara or oja then to eat there is the first the thought arises maybe hungry hungry that's because the stomach is empty and so the feeling of emptiness in the stomach sends some message to the brain which gets interpreted in terms of the sensation or feeling of hunger then one wants to eat and so one stretches out the arm there's an intention to get the food that intention is translated into a subordinate series of commands of moving out the arm touching the food rolling it into a ball lifting the arm putting the food into the mouth when one examines this in the light of reality it's just chaitanas giving rise to various bodily movements one puts the food into the mouth then there takes place a perception of taste ah it's a taste of paripu or taste of rice then there is a feeling if it's well prepared food then pleasant feeling if maybe it's too much chilies in the paripu then maybe painful feeling burning sensation comes all of these are just sanyas perceptions and vedanas um, feelings they're arising through what independence on contact pasa one puts the food into the mouth and so there's a coming together of the food with its flavor and the tongue as the instrument that gives rise to what's called tongue consciousness or taste consciousness through which there is the contact of mind with the flavor of the food 
There's the perception of the flavor, the feeling that comes with the taste of the food, and then there's the intention of chewing, and then chewing takes place. Swallowing, swallowing takes place. The food you feel goes down the esophagus into the stomach, and so one has sensations. And so one is comprehending these actions in terms of impermanent events that are occurring just by themselves, acts of mind and acts of body. Okay, so that is the practice of clear comprehension of the domain. Then, well, I've explained all of these practices, but now we can just take the text itself to show how it's practiced. Okay, so further, monks, a monk in going forward and going back, that's returning, he applies clear comprehension. That is, when he's going forward and returning, before going, he will he will keep his mind engaged on his meditation subject. Say, if he's practicing regularly anapanasati, then he might, while walking, continue to keep the mind in a very general way on in and out breathing. While walking, it's difficult just on the sensation at the nostrils. But in a general way, he might be aware of in and out breathing, in and out breathing. If he's practicing, say, Buddhanusati, contemplation of the Buddha, then he might keep the image of the Buddha in front of his inner eye while he's going. If he's practicing a casino meditation, he might try to keep a visual image of the casino in front of his mental eye while going and returning. Or if he's practicing vipassana, especially vipassana, then when going, he'll keep his mind engaged with each step, right step, left right, left, all the ways when going and returning. And then to practice the clear comprehension of the domain while he's walking forward, while he's walking back, then he'll be examining that activity of walking in terms of intentions leading to bodily movements examining it in the light of egolessness or anatta. Similarly, when looking straight ahead, then he'll have this clear comprehension. If he wishes to look to the side for something, then he doesn't immediately just stop and start looking this way and that way like ordinary people without any control, but he'll pause for a brief moment, consider the purpose of looking to the side, consider, if possible, whether it's suitable under these circumstances to look to the side, then perhaps in this case he'll just lay down his meditation subject, look to the side. For example, if he's crossing the street and there's traffic, especially if he's practicing today, traffic going back and forth, he's not going to think, 
in, out, in, out. I'd better not look to the side, just go straight ahead without dropping that subject or thinking buddho, buddho, buddho. <laughs> but he has to stop at the street and look to the left, look to the right, make sure the road is clear and hurry across the street. Then he'll pick up his in, out, in, out, or buddho, buddho. Okay, so in, that's the purpose and the domain, and he comprehends that according to, to reality, comprehending that there's no self which gives the command to stop and look to the side, but it's just an intention arises of stopping, another intention, look to the right, another intention, look to the left, and through the force of that intention, the head moves to the right and moves to the left. And similarly, I won't exemplify each case, but in bending and stretching also one applies clear comprehension. In wearing the robes, or you could just take in the case of getting dressed in the morning, one has to consider that it's necessary to get dressed, one has to choose suitable clothing, and do it mindfully with full awareness. and carrying the bowl, of course that applies just in the case of monks. But well, other people have other things to carry, but carrying any objects, do it with full awareness and with clear comprehension. In eating, drinking, chewing, and savoring, it's experiencing the flavor one applies clear comprehension. Then the line that was omitted here, when passing urine or when passing excrement, also one does it with clear comprehension. Then in the last sentence or last phrase, the Buddha puts together all types of activity which take place just quickly. These are called activities of short duration. The earlier ones that are mentioned are activities of middle duration, like going forward and going back, looking straight ahead and looking away. But here, just quick, brief actions of walking, standing, sitting. Then when falling asleep, that is when lying down for sleep, again one will comprehend the act of lying down with mindfulness of each phase perhaps. For example, when getting into the bed first, one has the intention to lie down, going to lie down. One considers the purpose of this to get refreshing sleep, whether it's suitable, a suitable place for sleeping. Then keeping the clear comprehension of the domain, if one has a fixed meditation subject, then when getting into the bed and when lying in bed, then one directs the mind to that subject. If one is practicing vipassana contemplation, then one can become aware of each phase, each movement in lying down. When one is to lie down, one goes to the bed, one puts the arm down to brace oneself, one pushes on the arm to lift the body off the ground onto the bed, one sort of turns, turns, 
then one lowers the body, lowering, lowering. When one touches the bed, touching, touching. When one lifts the bed, uh, I'm sorry, when one lifts the legs off the ground, lifting the legs, lifting the legs, pulling the legs onto the bed, pulling, pulling, then putting the arms onto the bed, putting arms, putting arms, then when lying down, then one can bring the mind back somewhat loosely to the meditation subject. If one attaches the mind too strongly to the meditation subject, then one doesn't fall asleep. And then when waking up, especially when practicing intensive meditation, then one, as soon as one wakes up, one should become immediately aware. Waking, waking, then one thinks of anything that has to be done to get out of the bed. Maybe if the alarm clock is ringing, hearing, hearing, to turn off the alarm clock, stretching, stretching, <laughs> hitting the control that turns off the sound, and so on. Then in speaking, this is especially important to be aware of the purpose of one speaking in order to avoid getting in, engaging in too much of idle chatter or gossip. One has to consider is the conversation that I'm going to initiate or become engaged with, is this a meaningful or purposeful or beneficial discussion? then one considers whether it's suitable to speak under these circumstances. Then, of course, when speaking, it's very difficult to keep the <laughs> clear comprehension of the domain in the sense of having a fixed meditation subject in the mind. But one should just try to be mindful of speaking then when one stops speaking, one becomes aware or mindful of stopping, stopping, and of keeping silent. Okay, so that is the way clear comprehension is applied to all of these activities. And especially for those who are practicing meditation intensively, this clear comprehension is very, very important because usually it's when one becomes involved in the various activities of day-to-day -day life that the mindfulness slips away from the meditation subject. And so if one becomes involved in these activities without any mindfulness and clear comprehension, one just drops the subject of meditation and one lets the mind move without any restraint or any control, then all of the thoughts and desires and reflections that have been held in check by the meditation all come rushing to the surface of the mind and then whatever progress one has made through one's specialized practice gets lost by the mind being swept away in the flood of day-to-day -day activities. But when one keeps mindfulness and clear comprehension in the day-to-day -day activities, then when one comes back to the main subject of meditation, the transition is a very natural one and the mind is able to progress from the point where it last broke off. So that's why the practice of clear comprehension is a very essential part of the 
foundations of mindfulness in the contemplation of the body. Okay, maybe at this point I will stop. Then if there are any questions, then I will answer them. If you have questions, then please don't be hesitant to ask. Okay, then, if there's no questions, then we continue again next week with probably might even be able to finish the contemplation of the body next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.